This episode is brought to you by Borderless. Paying and managing remote workers can be a difficult task for companies. With the shift to remote work, companies are hiring talent from all over the world. But once they bring on that engineer from Turkey or Mexico, they quickly realize the challenges of paying them on on an ongoing basis and managing them effectively. There are various issues that companies have to tackle, such as foreign exchange fees, delays in cross-border payments, managing invoices, and trying to stay compliant with local laws. These complications can cause headaches and wasted time for companies as they have to navigate a complex and ever-changing landscape of regulations and compliance. The process of paying and managing remote workers can be time-consuming, costly, and difficult to keep up with. It can also be a major distraction from the company's core business operations. That's where Borderless comes in. Their extensive experience in worker payments and contractor management has simplified this process for companies. They take away all the complexity of managing international contractors, allowing companies to put their contractor or employee on their platform and handle everything else. They take care of paying global workers and drafting local compliant contracts so companies can focus on what they do best. They also include the communication, task management, and compliance. And the best part? Borderless offers real-time payment to contractors in over 150 countries across the world, allowing contractors to access their funds quickly and easily. Their SaaS business model offers competitive pricing with a monthly fee of $39 per contractor or $399 per employee. Don't let managing remote workers hold you back any longer. Let Look Borderless be your global workforce management solution at HireBorderless.com. That's HireBorderless.com. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind-the-scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Tate Hackard. Tate is the founder and president of Zezun. Zezun provides wages on demand so employees can access their earned wages before payday, a financial wellness platform that teaches employees how to use those wages wisely and efficiently. In this episode, we discuss Tate's time in Hong Kong, his RV tour across the United States, and the major impact Zezun creates. Please enjoy my conversation with Tate Hacker. Tate, I'd love to start with your time at University of Victoria. Uh, why did you choose to go there? What did you study? And what, what did you like about the university experience? Oh, man. Um, so, Victoria, I'm, I'm from Vancouver Island. I grew up in Comox. Uh, Victoria was always sort of the rite of passage where a Comoxian has to go before moving on in life. And you either go to Victoria, do something, and then move on from Victoria to somewhere else, or you go to Victoria for a couple of years and then go back to Comox. Um, and that's sort of the, the Vancouver Island joke is that you can never actually really escape it. Um, so I went to Vic because 
uh, I, I love Victoria. So, you know, one awesome place, really cool university. Um, two, I learned in grade 11 or in the beginning of grade 12 that UVic uh, took a 73 to get in. And I knew that I could do zero work in grade 12 and get a 73. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, and then that was my ability to get into UVic. Uh, whereas if I wanted to go to a different university, I would have had to put in more effort. Um, and university for me was really like, it just seemed like if I'm not going to do something specific, I should probably just go do that because, um, it helps expand your network. It helps you learn you know, soft skills. It helps you learn how to manage timelines and everything else. I think university is really, really cool for everything. Um, that that's not the education actually, to, to be honest, right. At, at least for me, the education was cool. It was, it was, it was good to, to open your eyes and stuff up to certain things. I studied economics there. Um, but really the, the biggest takeaway that I took from UVic was everything that wasn't education related. And, and I think that's, you know, in line with, with a, a lot of people and probably is what's helping drive some of the conversation now around, um, you know, learning through your own avenues, through YouTube or, you know, through podcasting or whatever, um, and not always just by paying a lump sum of money to, to get a certificate. And you did you do this semester abroad in Hong Kong? And what was that like? What was the experience like as a young person? Um, you say you grew up in Comox. I don't know if you did much traveling before then, but was it a bit of a culture shock? I did my last semester in Hong Kong, which was really just a, a exchange program, right? Um, it was nothing more than that. But everyone was want like everyone was going to uh, Europe. They're going to like Poland or Italy or you know wherever it might be. Um, and I was one of myself and, and another person were the only people that did Hong Kong. Um, and I, I remember like looking at the list, I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to do this, I actually want a big culture shock. Uh, and I want something that's not just a culture shock, but completely different from what I'm used to. Um, big city versus, you know, small town, everything else. Um, and so, yeah, that, 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 that's what I did, right? And I had, I think there were a, a few learnings that, that came from it. Um, because like you said, it, it was really, really different from, from what I was used to. It was my first city aside from Las Vegas, but now mind you, Las Vegas was when I was like 17 and um, I went and stayed in a condo with, with my cousin down there who, who was there at the time. So it was a different Las Vegas experience. Um, it was really like the first big city that, that I ever went to. Um, and so for me, like, yeah, there, there, there were for sure a few learnings, but I think the most fun part of it was getting involved in the tech scene. Like I didn't know much about that stuff. And when I went to Hong Kong, I'm like, well, I got to get out there. I got to expand, you know, my thinking and everything else. And so I, I don't know if you remember, do you remember meetups? Like meetup, mm. meetup.com? No, no. So, so it was, it was like, I don't know if it's still around or not, but um, they, they basically post like these events, right. Uh, and, and people that were interested could request to join the meetup and then you'd get an invite to it and everything else. And, um, there was this really big at the time, this was 2000 and, uh, 2013. And so at the time, like tech, FinTech, everything was on this upswing. 
startups were really, really cool. They're starting to, you know, is that Airbnb had just launched, um, uh, Snapchat had just like all, all, all these, all these services that just launched. And so you're starting to get this unicorn status of companies and the entrepreneur life was the cool life. And so all these meetups in Hong Kong were, were around FinTech and, and, uh, financial services and everything else. And so I just started like going to those two, three, four days a week. Um, and really my, my time in Hong Kong became a lot less about school and a lot more about just expanding my network with people there. I got an internship at an e-commerce startup. Um, that was really interesting because it showed me for the first time ever, um, what an office job is like. Um, and it also showed me that like, oh, wow, you know, these office jobs are just as inefficient and have just as many issues and have just as many, whatever, as the, you know, blue collar jobs that I've been used to working. Um, and so it, it was neat from that perspective to be able to kind of have all that hit me at once. And then when I returned back to Canada, be able to put that, you know, into motion. I'm curious, like, what was the draw to tech, maybe even fintech in particular was that just based off what you were studying at UVic, was it just places you were hanging out online or friends? Like what got you really interested in the space? So th th there's, there's a really obvious answer. And then there's, as, as I've sort of been, I've, I've asked this question um, or similar question before, and it's got me thinking more and more. And like, when I actually think about growing up as a kid in the nineties, like, you know, many kids in the nineties, um, you get a computer when you're like seven, eight years old, um, internet started becoming a thing, you know, you're on Napster, you're in the Napster forums. Um, and so it starts to become a bit of, a bit of your life. And if I think back, like I never, ever think of myself as a tech person, but then, um, you know, I, I was really into music and, and had, had a band in junior high and, um, created the website for it. Right. And it was just one of those initial more or less drag and drop with a bit of HTML and that's here and there. But um, when I think back to it, it was like, well, you know, maybe I was a little bit more techie than I actually think, or I give myself credit for. Um, but, but specifically what drew me really, really heavy into tech uh, when I was, you know, 22, 23 was I was doing uh, lending, just I would, I would put an ad up on Craigslist um, that literally said money available. I would have hundreds of emails come through. I would sift through those emails, decide who I wanted to meet and potentially give money to. I would go to a Starbucks and, um, sit across the table from them, do a little interview. And at the end of the interview, basically, go, okay, here's a couple thousand dollars, uh, pay me back in 60 days. And so I had this lending company that ended going from $0 to a few hundred thousand dollars in short-term small dollar loans, all of my own money from the age of like 16 to 23. And tech to me was like, oh, I just want to be able to do this really big. And, and, and to do something really big and scale it, like, oh, I got to involve tech somehow. Um, and my initial you know, thought around tech was, Oh, a website. And then you just market that website. Like I, I had no idea, you know, what a tech company actually meant. Um, but I just knew that I had an idea, I had a product or, or I had a serve that to post. Um, I saw a need, which was people needing money for the short term. I didn't exactly know how that was going to be solved, but I knew the current products out there, like short term loans were really, really bad for the consumer. 
And so the question became, you know, if I learn tech, if I learn this secret world of tech, could I scale business that gave anyone access to short-term liquidity at a fair price? Um, and that was really the, the, the jumping off point for what became Zazun um, later on. I'm curious, you're 16 and you're, you're lending money to people like most 16 year olds are, are, are not doing that, or maybe they're just chilling or playing video games, playing sports. Um, what was that like? And how did you kind of determine like, Hey, this is something I want to fund. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious at that early age doing something like that. Yeah. So maybe for a, a bit of context, growing up on Vancouver Island, there was always um, always work to be done i suppose right and if, if you're a driven person you can you can be working 24 7 and i ended up um uh, I, I you know always worked from a young age but specifically in junior high and high school i got a, uh, a job on on fishing boats um and it was this way to make a lot of money really quickly and going back to the uvic discussion of you know, needing 73%, uh, in, in grade 12, I got asked to go on a fishing boat for 45 days. And I was like to my teachers, Hey, can I, can I do this? And this is, you know, before remote work was a thing and everything else, make sure that my grades are still in that B range. I promise we'll be good to go. And so, um, sure enough, you know, you go out on the boat for 40, 50 days and you come back with a really big check. And, um, uh, my, my dad had a friend that needed a second mortgage. Um, uh, just needed, you know, to pull equity out of his house. And so I had no idea what that meant, but my dad, you know, looking back, it was essentially his way of showing me how to make money on money, um, in what was essentially a zero risk loan, um, because you have so much collateral in the house. And so I did that a year later, got a check back with interest. And I thought, wow, this is a, a pretty neat way to make money. And so I thought, well, if this person needed money for a second mortgage and, you know, they make decent income, there must be a lot of people out there that, that need money. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's where the Craigslist thing came in. And then as far as determining who can, you know, who's worthy of a loan, I suppose, back, back then, it was really just like chatting with them. I don't know how to define it beyond that. Um, I, I think I have a fairly, a, a fairly good EQ when it comes to, uh, understanding people and, and their situations and wading through the bullshit and everything else. And so, um, I think it was, it was pretty much just that. And I was fortunate that, you know, out of the $300,000 or so that, that was provided to people, uh, zero default, um, or, or very, very close to zero. And so that kind of gave me this, you know, that's not normal, right? That is, that is not normal. Usually when you give money out to people, not all of it comes back. And that's why you have interest because that interest is meant to to, to, um, counter that risk. And so I was very fortunate because most of it came back and that's really what gave me this like blind confidence to be like, oh, I'm just going to give a bunch of money out. Like I want to start a business around this because clearly there's, there's a big business here. Um, you know, fast forward 10 years later and, and we, we give people access to their wages early. Um, it's a lot more difficult than just, uh, uh, saying, Hey, do you want money? Giving the money and, and calling it a day. So you have this lending business, you have this time in Hong Kong meeting FinTech companies. You've graduated from UVic. 
what happens next? Are you looking on for business ideas to start? You know, or do you, is this when you did you move to Calgary right away? I'd love to learn about maybe that starting story behind Zayzoon. Yeah, um, I'll try to try to not bore you too much with it, but I, I moved to Calgary February of 2014. And, uh, at the time I was, I was dating a girl, uh, so we had met at UVic and she, she was from Calgary. And so she had moved back to Calgary, of course. Um, and so it was just natural. I was like, well, I got a girlfriend in, in Calgary and I got nothing else to do in, in, uh, anywhere else. So, you know, let's make the move and moved to Calgary in February, 2014. Uh, and it was really sort of, I would say two years of trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. Um, I think it quickly started forming into Zazun, but there was um, a lot of part-time stuff in between. So I was, uh, I was foreman at a landscape construction site. I was operating uh, heavy duty machinery uh, without a certificate. Um, I was able to do it because I was the best person on the site for it. And I had a lot of experience from growing up on the farm on, on Vancouver Island. Um, and so it just worked out that way. But uh, I did that. I, I worked at a wealth management fund um, because I thought it was proper to get a job with a, a suit and tie. And I did that for about three or four months. And I decided, wow, I, I really, really hate this. Um, and and then in July or, or June or July of 2014, uh, so not not too long after I moved to Calgary, I met uh, my co-founder and the, my, my co-founder was introduced to, to me uh, through a mutual friend of ours who's now actually on our, on our board of directors at Zazun. Uh, but but we, we had got together and he was in the process of exiting out of a company he had founded about a decade prior. Um, and we did this little dance, you know, we did this little dance for about a year. Uh, we were both working on Zazun a little bit, but I was still going back to Vancouver Island every few months to to do some boat work and then i'd come back and um you know we'd, we'd work on it a little bit more but there was sort of you know a year 18 months of, of this um limbo period and then finally we we made it a full-time gig uh we raised some money um we we got a, a product into market and actually made it a thing little did we know that you know making it a, a, an actual thing um is is a lot of different steps and so we launched in canada uh and then in 2017 we actually shut down everything and went full on into the us and so when i think of zazun i kind of think of it in in three steps i think of it as the idea and founding uh which really occurred all the way back to 2012 when i when i was having this idea in university um and then ultimately in in 2014 when i met my co-founder I think of it as the Canada launch and kind of Canada learnings, which was sort of that 2015, 2016 to 20 end of 2017 era. And then I think of it as the US, which is where we're now, it's where our entire focus is, and it's where our company's been built. And it, it's ultimately from, you know, start of 2018 until now. And why that shift to the US? And I guess second part to that question would be, What's it like being, you know, a Canadian-based organization? I'm sure you have employees in the U.S., but what is that like, like working south of the border? Are there some nuances there? So we went to the U.S. Uh, 
strictly because of Paul. I mean, we, we, um, we had a service up here. It was okay. Uh, but it was just, we're having difficulty expanding it. Um, maybe for some context. So, so we provide wages early to employees, uh, and, and we do so by way of integrating with payroll companies. Um, we integrate with those payroll companies, use them as a distribution network to, to clients and, or to businesses and to employees. Um, and we, you know, the secret sauce in all of this is that the payroll data that we're able to capture lets us know whether we can give someone an, an advance on their pay or not. And then not only that, we can get repaid through a deduction in that payroll software. And so that reduces, remember we were talking about losses and risk, that reduces our risk to essentially zero, which then allows us to pass all of those savings onto a customer. Um, and so in Canada, the payroll landscape is very monopolistic. Uh, you have a couple of really big players and only three or four smaller ones. And we just were having a hell of a time in the sales cycle. Contrast that to the US, we went to our first trade show, October of 2017. We came back with not one, five payroll partners, like, like five, not just leads, but like handshake. Yes, let's kick this off. And so right with that, um, we kind of went deeper into the U.S. landscape and we, we learned that it's very much so not monopolistic. There's, in fact, about, you know, a thousand payroll companies, um, half and half of which are, you know, you, you got all the small guys um, and then you got the ADPs and kind of the bigger guys. Um, and so we had looked at it as, wow, we have this entire market of smaller payroll companies that we can tackle and, and integrate with. Um, and before we even have to worry about trying to sell the, the big whale. And so that was sort of the thought. Um, and, and it's worked out very well for us. But uh, as far as the nuance is concerned, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a ton. Like there, there's, there's for sure cultural differences and everything um, there, especially in, in dealing with customers and your customer support functions and everything else. But it's nothing too, too crazy. And even today, we're, we're both 50-50 split. Uh, we're about 40 employees in Canada and about 40 employees in the U.S., um, maybe maybe 60, 40 uh, Canada, uh, U.S. And I guess, why is accessing wages, like, before you, you know, reach your kind of your payroll date, why is that important? Like, what is the model you're fixing? Is it that kind of classic money mart, people are going in, getting a crazy, uh, like, you know, loan? And they don't really understand how these things work. And then they get saddled with, with that loan at a later date. I guess, like, what is the major problem you're fixing? And what does that unlock for employees? Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's exactly that, right? There's a lot of individuals that live paycheck to paycheck. Um, and so when those people live paycheck to paycheck, they end up in this situation where they're, they're maybe going to use a payday loan, maybe they have an overdraft fee, a late bill payment, whatever it might be. And so we saw this ability if we, if we can actually just help someone improve their cash flow, right? If someone's able to get paid any day of the week rather than just the first and the fifteenth, does that actually help them better position better position their financial lives? Um, and, and and we absolutely find that right. And uh, so about ninety percent of our customers report having decreased financial stress, which is really really amazing. And now it's interesting because we kind of have two customers in this. 
so the first customer, of course, is the employee that is actually using the service and um, accessing their pay early, avoiding predatory product, increasing their cash flow. Awesome. The second customer is employer. It's, it's the employer that maybe historically spent hours every month dealing with employees to give them cash advances, right? John or Jane comes into the office and says, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of strapped this week. Do you mind if you, if you give me an advance on my paycheck? That employer now does a, a separate pay run. They have to write a check off the side of their desk, whatever it might be. Um, the employer's employer is also our customer because giving people access to their paycheck early, again, like decreasing their financial stress, it allows them to be better employees. It, it allows them to be more productive. Um, they're more likely to stay at that organization longer. An organization that's looking to hire people, we see actually two times uh, better candidate fulfillment rates or, or quicker fulfillment rates, I suppose, uh, by having Zazun at the, as a listed benefit in the, uh, in the job description. So um, things like that, I, I guess, sort of make it a win-win for, for everyone involved. Um, yeah. I guess historically, like why has payroll usually been a bi-weekly thing? Is that just a nature of something that was made up years ago and we're just kind of like living with that legacy? Is it actually like a technology issue or like, I guess, you know, why has this issue come up and why has it been usually bi-weekly, sometimes monthly, whatever that may be for employers and people getting paid? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so I should probably know the specific origins a lot better than I do. I'm sure it goes back to the Industrial Revolution and, um, you know, some specifics in that. But uh, what, what what I know today is that payroll is, is bi-weekly because it works for every party involved other than the employee, right? So so an employer themselves has cash flow to manage. Um if they're paying on a daily basis, that's going to mess up their own cash flow constraints. Uh, there's costs involved. So each time you do a pay run, there's transaction costs, there's um, administrative burden that's placed on, on that employer. And so those things combined basically make it you know, quite inefficient and in, in, in ineffective for an employer to pay uh, on a daily basis. Where do you see the space going? You know, like more, more and more people doing gig economy work and i know like like if you if you're dashing for doordash for example you can get paid out same day um you know i know other companies are trying to tackle this like but like where do you see the space going uh do you see it expanding into other things uh, I, I guess yeah just what do you envision for the space if you think about what we do for an employee we we, we don't give them access to cash like like we do obviously we we give them access to cash but that's not what they're using us for. They're using us so that they can buy something or so that they can, you know, pay a bill or whatever else. They're using us to get out of a cash flow constraint. And so when we think about where this, where this industry goes, where this service goes, or specifically where Zayzune goes, um, it's really about like, how can we save people money, whether that be, you know, actually save them money, by increasing their cash flow or putting more money in their pocket, or it's how can we save them money by decreasing their current uh, debt burden or decreasing their current bill spend or whatever else. And so that's where we really like to play. Um, and the, the secondary consequence of all of that is 
further engagement at a business, right? Again, that employee that is 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 uh, more financially healthy is a better employee, which creates a better business. And so that's ultimately what we are. We're we're an engagement tool for businesses, and we're a financial health tool for for employees. And so um, right now, I think earned wage access is a really really amazing product that serves a need. And what we're doing with our customers is we are creating an an immense amount of trust with them in one of their most vulnerable moments. And what you can do with that is is incredible. And so now it's just really honing in on what other problems do our customers experience? What other problems do employees have? What other problems do employers have? And can we fill those gaps while still staying true to our mission, which is, you know, improving the financial health of employees um, and saving 10 million employees, $10 billion. That's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And so as we look at the problems that, that occur, um, the solutions that we, we essentially surface, uh, are they aligned with that mission? So you've been working on Zazoon now for almost a decade. Like you have the idea in 2012, meet your co-founder 2014, it's now 2023. Um, how have you had that kind of like, I don't know what you would want to call it, but like the staying power of like, still motivated, passionate about the business, passionate about the problem. Uh, how have you maintained that for, you know, it's 11 years from idea stage, almost a decade from business creation state. Yeah, it's, when you say it like that, it's been a really long time. I think there's a, a couple things. Um, the first is, it's really exciting to be involved in it. Like it is, we are just scratching the surface. And so every day you come into a win is kind of an adrenaline rush that keeps you going to the next day. And every time, you know, we sign on a new employer, we know that we are saving X amount of employees, X amount of dollars, and we're getting that much closer to our, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal. And so I think that's really fulfilling and keeps things exciting and interesting. Now, of course, you contrast that as well with the crazy amount of problems that you have each and every day and um, the ups and downs of a startup. And I think as long as the wins outweigh the problems, um, even if it's by a tiny, tiny little percent, uh, uh, it kind of keeps you going. Um, so, so that's one. The second thing is, I kind of talked about Zazian and stages, right? Like that, that first stage of ideation, the second stage of Canada, third stage of United States. We really think of Zazoon as being founded in 2018, 2017 because of that. And so the journey feels a lot shorter uh, from when, you know, rubber really hit the road. Even though it's been in my head for, for so, so long, um, the, the founding, you know, really when we went at it in earnest feels a little bit shorter. Now, again, like that, that sort of, it's, equally frustrating because I do know how long that idea has been in my head for and, and how long it took to execute on. But I think that's really just comes down to timing and opportunity. And, um, we've, we've seen the timing opportunity sort of converge in the last few years really, really nicely. Uh, yeah. And then the last thing I would say about all of it is it's been for me personally, a ton of growth. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not just in a business for 10 years or six years or whatever, 
you're actually going through the various growth stages of that business. Uh, the, the revenue marks, the customer marks, the actual employee, you know, team marks. Um, and so feels different at each milestone and to be involved in a company that is 10 people and then 25 and then 50 and now, you know, 80, 82, whatever we're at now, um, there's learnings that you take from each of those stages and, uh, each one kind of makes it feel almost like day one again, if that makes sense, uh, not to sound too corny or cheesy with it. How do you keep up with that kind of growth and learning? Is it just a nature of like being in the environment, having a learning mindset and you're kind of good or are you looking for mentors or you're reading, consuming other content, I guess, or maybe a blend of that? Like what is, what are ways that you kind of keep up with that growth? I think there's a lot of consumption of content, certainly lots of podcasts, lots of readings, lots of conversations with mentors or, uh, you know, other, other founder friends that are around the same stage going through similar things or founder friends that are, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit ahead of you. And, and you can sort of ask them about the time, you know, six months ago when they were experiencing the same thing. Uh, I think equally though, a lot of it is just having confidence that what you're doing is proper. Um, it, 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 and, and some of that comes through those conversations, right? Like a lot of those conversations I have with other founders or, or mentors, it's almost like a, Hey, am, am I doing this right? Or, or, Hey, like, what did you do at this stage? And when they say it, you're like, Oh shit, you had no idea either. Okay, cool. Um, and so I just need to, you know, hope that me having no idea is just as smart as them having no idea. And that, um, if I lean into, you know, my ignorance and the fact that I have no idea, but as long as I'm sort of um, being self-aware of situations, ensuring that the eyes being focused on on the long term rather than short term, uh, that I'm really doubling down on the core values of the organization and, and my own personal core values, and I'm not flexing on those, uh, then you know shit's going to work out. Um, and so I think that's really what it what it comes down to. I, I don't know if there's a silver bullet um, necessarily for for anyone. In terms of uh, on the track of learning, you did an RV tour through the U.S. I'm sure there's a lot of learnings of how to manage an RV or, you know, you're just driving across the U.S. and you're learning new things. But uh, wh how did that come about? Why did you do that? And what was that experience like? For some context, we, we took an RV, a big Zayzun branded RV. And we drove it across the country from LA to New York over the period of 75 days. It was me and another individual, but we parachuted in Zazun team members for different legs of the journey. And by the end of the trip, we had over 40 Zazuners join us on the road. Uh, what was really, really cool about this. So, so I guess the, the objectives that we were trying to achieve, achieve with it, um, was, was a, like showing appreciation to, to our partners and clients and employees. And so we would show up in, I don't know, whatever town, Tennessee or, or Missouri, and we'd have a, a food truck join us and, um, we'd hand out swag to the business and we'd have a little discussion with the employees and, um, all that was really, really great. And it showed appreciation. Uh, the second thing that we did is, or the second it's objective that we were trying to achieve was really learnings among the team. Right. I really, really wanted 
the team to be associated with our mission and customer personas. And as you grow, you can see some of that dissipate. And even at 80 employees, which is still very small in the grand scheme of things, we were starting to see some of that disassociation with our customer, uh, with the empathy and with everything else involved. Um, and I guess just with the broader context, contextual awareness. And so that was really the big thing that we were trying to achieve um, in, in, in the RV tour. And it was really, really neat because we'd go in, we'd show appreciation through this food truck event and do a little presentation to the staff. But then we would have, you know, myself and maybe on this leg of the trip, it'd be a software developer and a, a person from customer support. Maybe we'd have a salesperson and maybe we'd have a marketer or someone from finance. And so those people now all got to experience that customer firsthand, right? Like a, a software developer that had developed the app or parts of the app might not have actually ever communicated with a customer in real life or seen the app in real life for that matter, um, aside from, you know, in testing environment. And so it was really, really neat for them to be able to see that conversation occur, ask questions. Um, and then afterwards, all of us, every single time, every single interaction we had, we would all go back into the RV. I would ask the questions, all right, what was a learning curiosity or surprise that you had from that interaction? And you would see the team just collaborate. It was so, so cool. And an hour later, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like that, that was the best conversation ever. We have a marketing person that's, you know, taking learnings from the software developer. We have a software developer that's taking learnings from the customer support person. Uh, and it's just opening up a, a new lens. And so um, ultimately, the, the purpose of all of this was to act as a metaphor for, you know, let's actually do this on a daily basis as Azen. Let's promote cross-functionalness. Let's promote customer-centricness um, and everything else. And so, you know, a few months have passed now since the end of the RV tour. And it's really neat to see people posting up new features and saying, hey, this new feature, you know, as a result of being on the RV tour, we learned this. Or, hey, we're now doing month, we're, we're now doing weekly calls with customers because, you know, the RV tour and how it opened up and showed us that we really need to learn from our customers on a more regular basis. And so that, that was really neat to see as, as you know, a founder of the company and, and, and a leader of the company. I follow you on Twitter and oftentimes you're posting about, you know, you're a pretty active angel investor. Um, how did you get into angel investing? What do you like about it? And how does it help you just as an individual, but also as like a founder of Zazun and like just improve there? Yeah, I would use angel investor very loosely because I write a lot of checks, but I write a lot of small checks. And so I always feel a little bit, um, embarrassment isn't the right word, but a little bit of imposter syndrome, I suppose, in, in, in all of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's cool, man. Like, I think it's, it's neat to have some skin in the game with companies that you think are dope. Like, why, why wouldn't you want that? Um, it's cool from a potential upside perspective uh, and actually making money on your money. But it's also equally cool to me for, for the network gets created from it. Now, when I travel to, you know, XYZ City, um, I can reach out to one of the founders that I'm invested in and actually 
have a great conversation and, and hopefully I can share some learnings or, you know, maybe I get some learnings from them, which, which is amazing too, depending on the stage of the company or what specific things a person's going through. Uh, so that, that's, that's really powerful. It's cool to see how people present their ideas. And so getting that firsthand look at pitch decks and investment memos and everything else really comes in handy then when, you know, Zoom goes out and runs a process for, for capital. Um, it shows us what are investors interested in, what are, what are things that people are, are um, really putting front, uh, front and center on their, their own pitch decks and stuff like that. So um, that's all very neat. And then, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately with angel investing, it's been uh, a lot of small deals, kind of shotgun approach, uh, one or two checks every single month. Um, but then every now and then there's a company that I really like or I use their product and the check's a lot bigger. Um, and it's something where it kind of shifts from, hey, this is just something for fun and something to you know expand my network. And it shifts, yes, those two things, but also I want to make money on this investment. Um, and I think I have a, a good balance of each of those. I'm curious too, like, so, so you're doing this angel investing or, you know, maybe you don't call it angel investing um, and you're investing, I'd say maybe majority in Canadian companies. I'm sure some U.S. companies as well. And you're start, you started a Canadian tech company in Calgary in, you know, around 2014, 2015, which, you know, was kind of near the height of oil and gas. So I guess, like, what's it been like starting a tech company in Canada, maybe even Calgary specifically? And how has that ecosystem changed over almost the last 10 years? And where do you kind of see that going in the next five, 10? So I moved back to Vancouver and in March of COVID, so March of 2020. And then I just returned to Calgary in October of 2022. And it is a completely different city. Like, I don't know if it's where I'm living now. I'm a little bit more uh, central downtown rather than, you know, s sort of to the east. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but Calgary just feels different. It feels a lot more lively. It, it, it um, yeah, it just feels a lot more fun. And um, I think you're seeing that in, in the tech space as well. I think Calgary's starting to get recognized as more and more I don't want to say leader in tech because it's not as a, at least as a, as a contender in the tech space. Um, you know, for, for us, Calgary's been really, really solid for growing business. Uh, we have pretty extensive or my co-founders have a pretty extensive network in the oil and gas space. And those individuals are looking to put money in, in, in places other than oil and gas. They're looking to diversify into tech. Uh, and into startups. And so we've been very fortunate that we're almost a hundred percent funded by Calgarians, um, which is really neat to say because A, you know, when we succeed, it's going to be an awesome success story for Calgary, uh, not just for the company, but for, you know, a lot of the employees and for um, almost all of the investors. But but it's also helped us a lot to to navigate this whole like VC hype and everything else, right? Uh, been able to sort of beat beat to our own drum, is that the saying? 
beat to the rhythm of our own drum, something like that. Um, uh, and, and, and avoid some of the noise that a typical startup might encounter in, in your typical startup places like San Francisco or, or even uh, Toronto or Vancouver. Um, and so I think that's been, been really neat for us. I think Calgary, Calgary's solid in that regard. I don't know where it's going over the next few years, but I'm definitely um, liking Calgary more and more and, and, and have officially, you know, it, it's funny, man, like 10 years into living in Calgary, I still have a BC driver's license. Um, I just, I just never fully made the transition. I was always sort of, ah, oh, Calgary is good, but just I, Vancouver Island's my home. And uh, now it's, it, it's really started to take hold of me. I love that. Um, I'd love to jump into the quick fire round. And uh, first question is, what is your favorite book or book you're reading right now? And if you're not a book person, just kind of whatever content that you like. Yeah, certainly. No, I'm, I'm definitely a book person. Favorite book's super difficult because I find that books are really like, fleeting, I guess, depending on, on like the time of life that you're, 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 you're in or, or what you're personally going through um, in, in a given moment, maybe. I read quite often nothing too complicated or too eclectic. Um, I really enjoy like business biographies. Uh, I don't know what's on off the top of my head. Recent reads, uh, Made in America, which is is the Walmart story. So Sam Walton's biography. Um, I love like the shoe dog. I think it's just like a very vulnerable, uh, real story. That that's that's the founder of. Nike, the story of Nike, uh, delivering happiness, the story of Zappos. Yeah, those are all sort of um, recent reads. I'm loving the biographies right now, so plus one to that. Um, What are you most excited about this year, uh, personal and or professional? Personal or professional? So at the end of every year, I I do like a year in review. Um, it, I don't know if you've seen the Tim Ferriss uh, year in review. It's it, it's essentially an ad- adaptation of that. I, I literally go through my entire calendar week by week or day by day. Um, and to simplify, effectively write what was good, what was bad. Um, and then I try to do more of the good and, and less of the bad. And so what I'm really excited for is is just achieving some of the goals that I've set out or some of like you know, more things I want to do. Um, Zay's, you know, I'll put Zazun growth in, in into a bucket, I suppose. Uh, but just a lot of things in, involved in Zazun specifically. We're going to continue to grow the company from a revenue perspective and from an employee perspective. Lots of learnings there for me. Lots of leveling up that I need to do as, as a manager and a leader. Um, I want to, I'm excited to get better at sleeping this year. <laughs> I suck at sleeping, so I'm I'm really excited to to get better at that and keep a better cadence. I just got back into jujitsu after a long hiatus, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, excited, yeah, just like continuing to learn, learning Spanish at the moment. I have a Spanish tutor, uh, so that's been that's been neat to uh, get into or get back into. I was I was taking lessons a couple of years ago as well. 
um, so yeah, just, I guess I'm excited in 2023 personal and professional to, to learn. That's awesome. Um, last question would just be, how do you deal with hard times? You know, being a founder, working on an idea for a long time, building a team, those are all challenging environments. How do you deal with those personally? Like you mentioned jujitsu, you mentioned like you have some activities outside of work Are those ways that you, that have helped you. Biggest thing is, is super cliche, but it's, it's literally just have a positive mindset. Um, and it's realizing that like every, everything bad is, is just sort of part of the journey. Um, again, like, like sounds super silly, but it's, it, it's very true. Um, and I think as a founder, you go through enough things where the first time you go through, you're like, oh my gosh, this is business ending. How are we ever going to escape this? But by the fifth time, you're kind of like, oh, well, here's the four other times that this occurred. And we ended up getting out of it. So um, let's not stress because it doesn't, it's, it's not the end of anything. Um, and let's just go through the process of figuring out how do we problem solve this? And so I think just having like a very positive mindset and a very rational uh, mindset helps a ton. Um, but then, yeah, certainly like, like specifics of, of how to like deal with hard things or, or blow off steam. Um, anything that's really meditative. So like, really putting yourself in the present high adrenaline activities for me uh is 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 what does that Uh, and that could be things like martial arts or uh like really strenuous like scramble or 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 hike um and then uh escaping to mexico because i love mexico and i try to go there way too much what area of mexico is your your favorite Uh, oh my girlfriend and i usually fly into puerto Vallarta. And then we'll either hang out there or we'll drive to Guadalajara um, nice. and kind of make a, do, do a split of city and beach. The Spanish will be come and helpful. Come sort of, sort of why I wanted to learn it. I've, I've, uh, AI, so, so going back to Hong Kong, like, man, you go to the university there and you're with a bunch of other international students. You realize how stupid we are as Canadians. Like we, we know zero languages. Um, except for English and, and, you know, that's even debatable sometimes you're sitting there with, you know, my friend from Germany that knows six languages. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I always thought a, it'd be cool to learn a second language. And then I love Mexico. Uh, I think there's, um, a ton of opportunity there actually in the future business wise, and maybe a story for another time, but I'd, I'd love to get involved in that at some point. Uh, and so, you know, learning the language would be a really cool sort of thing to do i love that and uh before we wrap it up would love just to open the floor up to you to chat about anything how, how people can learn more about zayzoon or you as individually whatever yeah uh, nothing specific i guess i guess if you want to learn more about zayzoon um probably follow us on linkedin we do a lot of activity on linkedin uh, just due to the nature of our business being b2b2c um and so quite active there. I think there's a, you know, or I don't think, I know that there's a lot of good content that goes out there. And then for myself personally, I, I probably tweet too much, but I, I, I love it. It's, it's uh, I don't know, fun for some reason, but uh, I'm at Tate Hackard on Twitter. And great follow. Um, Tate, this has been a lot of fun. We've covered a ton of different subjects and just appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. It was awesome. Thanks.
you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack to keep up to date.